And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery, a podcast about a life following Watford Football Club. Brought to you by The Athletic, my name is John. With me this morning uh, is Jason. Good morning. And Michael. A very good day to you, John, and to you, Jason. There sounds a positivity, because yeah, we, it has to be, surely, today, Michael. Because yesterday, <laughs> Watford won 1-0 away at Birmingham City. And we'll discuss that game. Uh, but also in part two, we're going to hear from a hatful of Watford fans about a trip to St Andrews in 1999. You can probably guess which game that is. But it's fantastic hearing uh, the fans' point of view of a, a trip to St Andrews, because no fans could make the trip yesterday. I'm going to get ahead of you, Mike. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Three points, a clean sheet. Watford have not lost a game in nine Vladimir Ivic was manager of the month and we are only one point off second and four points off the top. That isn't thereabouts, that's there. We're there, not thereabouts, we're there. How are you yesterday though, Michael, when uh, it came to the the, the pre-game and and seeing the (laughs) fact that Watford didn't quite have a full substitute bench? You're, everything you say is absolutely right, and I'm a fact little is fact. And I'm a little bit embarrassed, I must say, about my feelings yesterday, both sort of on Twitter and in our in our WhatsApp group. So apologies to anyone who encountered me from sort of about half two uh, onwards yesterday. What sort of stirred my got my hackles up yesterday was when seeing two goalkeepers on the on the bench, and I sort of took that as to be. A, a real negative. I thought, well, how can a, a, a squad that's supposed to be challenging for the for the return to the Premier League not be able to name a full complement of outfield players on the bench? And it and it came off the back of not only naming eight substitutes on on Tuesday night. Of course, it made me miserable, but too miserable. And because I gave it some thought and quickly became apparent that look what I have to realise is what everyone has to realise is that these matches are still going on against the backdrop of pretty unprecedented and very challenging situations aren't they I mean there was two new Covid cases so first and foremost whoever they are get well soon I hope that they hope they are all right and there was obviously a, a late dropout um, and that left us with effectively seven <laughs> outfield players and two goalkeepers now on one side it's pretty obvious that seven outfield players should be enough um, for for any match day squad. So it didn't really make any material difference to how we went into the game. And and as I've just said, that these are really challenging circumstances. And I think I probably needed to give my my head a little bit of a wobble at, at, at that stage. My, my my initial thought was, well, why couldn't they get an under twenty three in someone who's been performing well in in one of the in one of the youth teams perhaps and give them the experience of uh, of, of sitting on the bench. Now on the face of it, that would have been great. But if if the dropout came late, it would have mean meant someone driving 
someone up there at, at late notice, uh, possibly rushing, going from tier two to tier three to sit on the bench, probably not a game, get a game. So whilst me sat in my lounge, comfy lounge with a with a mug of tea, admiring my newly decorated Christmas tree, it's easy for me to sit there and sort of get a bit ranty about it. Whereas with hindsight, the logistics, uh, I should have been more aware really of the of the logistics, which are which continue to be really really challenging, not just for for yesterday, but for Vladimir Ivic and the squad and the club as a whole as we try and navigate our way through this season. So I started off pretty glum uh, and I probably shouldn't have done. Um, and then the first half started. Michael, Michael, I don't, I, I don't mind you being grumpy. It shows you care. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Thank you. And it's all caring at Christmas, isn't it? Jason, that line-up, we, we saw it. And you know, the, the, you know, the, the things that were, the people, the men were on the pitch... You know, wasn't particularly anything that you would call crazy or or missing anything. Maybe the fact that he played one up front. You know, there was only one clear striker with Dini uh, up front. That that might have not say caused concerns. We're going. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's clearly how Vlad is wanting to set up an away game at, at Birmingham City. It just happened to lead to quite a boring first half with not even a single shot on goal. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure you're right. That is how Vlad would have wanted to set it up because we had a number of um, potential striking partners for for Troy on the bench and we we talked about on Tuesday that the fact that Troy's played with three different striking partners over the last three games and now in the fourth game he's playing up front on on his own and I did feel a little bit sorry for him yesterday because it wasn't he wasn't getting the support he needed now I think I think I can understand the intention or perhaps what Vlad was thinking we're up against uh, an Aitor Karanka side. They're, they're not going to be playing fast, free-flowing, attacking football. They're going to set up to defend and try and catch us on the counter. And they were very defensive. The, the game, in general, lacked a lot of quality yesterday, didn't it? It was, you know that phrase, good advert for the championship? Not yesterday, not yesterday. So, so they're set up to defend. So is our intention then to play football behind that that low block or whatever you want to call it and try and draw them out and then exploit the gaps. Uh, that's how I saw it perhaps panning out. But to exploit those gaps, you wouldn't necessarily say we've got an attacking line that can exploit gaps. Just Ken and, and, and Deeney up front, we had no... And, and Queener, but we didn't have the what you would... Our, our, our ace card, let's say, that we want to be called our ace card, uh, was uh, Ishmael Azar to break those lines no but I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing it sort of almost has the opposition guessing if you've got you've got you've got one man up front who can hold the ball up or flick the ball on so then yeah you're asking the question who is then going to break the line the opposition are going to be asking the same question as well so it could come from anywhere I think all of Chalabar Cleverly and Garner can get into the box and cause a threat you've you've got the option of, of the wide men you've got Keener and, and Ken that can make things happen get balls into the box you've got the full backs who both have the natural flair and ability to get forward and, and create havoc as well so you've got sort of what's that? that that's that's seven people effectively that can join in that attack that can break from deep and and, and you don't know where those gaps are going to come you're relying on uh, a misjudgment an error from the Birmingham City defensive players to come out when perhaps they shouldn't to create that gap so you can't say if it's on one side of the pitch, you're expecting the guys on the other side of the pitch to fill that gap. It could be anyone from anywhere. 
and and that's how I saw or I expected it to to pan out. We did need some creativity, didn't we, Jace, from from mm. either Queen or 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 King Ken, and that that didn't really come, did it? In fairness, I mean, absolutely, Birmingham was set up to to stifle Watford, and they and they did it very well, as we <laughs> as we saw to add to our cost. But I think it was pretty disappointing. I thought that that, that Watford weren't able to carve even a shot, let alone a. A decent opportunity, and you know, Ken Semmers had a, a a decent game. Obviously, he he had a spell out, and Queen has been in and out of the game, but he's shown he's had a bit of an up and down season, hasn't he? So far, sometimes he's been sort of looked a bit lost, and other times he's come on and looked really effective and and asked questions. But neither men could get a foothold, Jace, could they yesterday? No, and and none of them were sort of anywhere near Troy. There was no no link up play with him. And again, sort of coming back to Troy, there were times where we were getting the ball up to him quickly. And he was able to to win a header, flick it on, no one running in behind, or he would trap it, lay it off, or he would sort of play it into space where he's expecting a man to be breaking through, and they were just arriving too late, and it, and Birmingham were able to mop them up fairly fairly comfortably. He, he he didn't get the support that he needed to play as a lone front man yesterday. Let's hear from Troy. Uh, Adam Leventhal was at the game yesterday uh, and uh, post-match, as they do, they get in these little huddles uh, and uh, talk to the players. This is what Troy had to say uh, after the game. Satisfying now. Obviously, I missed a big chance, but I thought I heard a whistle. So, poor from me. Um, Unprofessional, really. Should go and score and and then deal with the ref afterwards kind of thing, but I didn't. Made a mistake. And, um, yeah, thankfully got a chance to, to rectify it thought the header was a half decent chance as well for, for my standards but put it the wrong side of the post so I just at this moment in time I feel like any time I play a game I feel like I'm 39 and everyone's like well you knocked another record off or you're you know is this the last time you're going to play so I've tried not to, to concentrate too much on the statistics but yeah if that's my 500th game and another goal then happy days naturally when you go 30 plus people put you in the old is the word I'm going to use so you, you keep pushing for it obviously and I've got young boys here that keep me on my toes and it's, it's not about it's not about whether Troy's still about it's whether the club can keep progressing Mr Levitar writes a piece every other month saying I'm holding them back so it's fine I keep I keep doing what I'm doing and uh, you know what how many managers have, uh, have come in and tried a different way of football but I still somehow end up playing so I must be doing something right we know we need to score more we're, we're very aware of that but ultimately it's getting the wins at this moment Christmas and you normally say with all the games coming thick and fast, but that's the whole year because obviously it's so condensed. So we just want to make sure we're in a position to um, to do what we do, win games, especially while we're playing, you know, ugly. And with the quality that we have, ultimately it will have to turn. At some point, it will have to turn. And you know, it's a, it's a tough job with injuries and you know with COVID and everything that's going on at the minute. We got to be ready and. No, but that's all we can keep doing is be professional, getting our job done. In terms of the the formation, yeah. you obviously, I mean, the game against Rotherham, it looked you looked like you looked happier playing with someone alongside you. Yeah. Obviously, when Steeper came on, you had that person to go off you again. Yeah. Is that what you prefer? It's not necessarily what I prefer, mate. It's more of a um, if you look when when teams play against me, it's never we're leaving one v one. So if if it's a ball, let's say we're clearing a ball and it's coming up to me, it's normally two v one very difficult to get hold of it and bring somebody else into play so you've got someone close to you naturally you can help it on and then that gives the defender something more to think about so yeah you know I've been in this game a long time and I, I score don't score Watford win I'm crap Watford win I'm good I'm still here I just crack on and just keep it going mate and 
Read your articles, they're good to be fair. Other than when you're hammering me, but they're good. I said you're old and did you say old and old and back or old, no, and, old fat? and fat? That's what I, I didn't myself. say. Fat. I didn't say fat. Yeah, I, no, I say that because it, only, it gives a perception to others that I shouldn't really be here. So it's funny. You said you've had some good stuff. We'll talk about it after. So as Adam asked at the end there, Mike, he, he does want a friend up front with him. Yeah, yeah, and I think it. How much better did it look when when Stipe came on? It, it just the whole dynamic of the of the game changed. It's interesting. I mean, Troy said himself there he should have. He had a couple of good chances before before the penalty. Now the the the, the lob, such as it was, it was it was just a. Wasn't even that really. It was almost it was a back pass to the keeper when he was clear through, and he said he heard a whistle, which was a which was a funny one. But if that goes in. Um, the header was a was a more it was a was a tougher chance but a chance nonetheless yeah so Watford actually could have could have won two or three nil in the end it's worth worth noting that he did he did have those chances and and Troy being Troy's very honest with himself about how he he, he probably should have done better with both of them so looking at the context of the game and hearing from Troy there we've got to remember that we did carve out two decent chances and when you're in a game as we've already discussed that's going to be so low on chances like that you, you have to take them if you do it looks like a really professional solid job we didn't and had to rely on a penalty late on and it, there's a few more questions to be asked but yeah I mean you know, it's always good to hear from Troy I think he's always he plays it down the middle he, he, he says he says what he feels and I think we have to agree with him that he he would be better he looks better whether it's Andre Gray whether it's Parizzo whether it's Pedro there's just more to go at, isn't there, with, um, with, 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 with two men up front? Well, we'll see uh, what Adam uh, and him talked about afterwards, even if they did get a chance, uh, maybe uh, when we catch up with Adam on Tuesday. Uh, Jason, the, the, yeah, but everyone sort of feels like, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a substitute until very, very late on. Uh, and it was the first one, of course, was the introduction in the 69th minute uh, of one... Estipe Parizza, uh, who won the, the penalty. How did things change that made it better for Watford when he came on? It's funny, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I was sitting there, and I've said it before on here, you, if you want to win a game, you tend to need to make your substitutions early. And we've got the opportunity to make to make five, and perhaps you make a few more than just one in the 69th minute. So I was berating Vlad a bit for, for the lack of changes. And then... He comes on and it did seem like he was playing down the right, just sort of a, a straight swap for, for Kina, um, who himself was playing out of position, but probably was, out of all the players on the pitch, the best fit for that position. We didn't, without Saar, we didn't really have a player that could naturally play in that position. So Paris has come on, he's, he's down the right-hand side. Again, I was sort of a bit, a bit confused by that, but I think his natural instinct as a striker was to get closer to Troy. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see a bit of a link up there. And you've got someone all of a sudden with a desire to get in behind the Birmingham City defence. Um, and that made the difference. And that's exactly what he did for the penalty. You, you just see, I think Pedersen's got um, a good few yards on him when the ball's played behind. But you can see the difference in the desire to get the ball. Paris has got there first. He's won the penalty, done a fantastic job. Um, and of course, that's, that's turned out to be the winning goal. What a penalty as well. Uh, definitely a penalty, Mike? Definitely a penalty for me. I think if, if that's anywhere else in the pitch, it, it gets given, isn't it? Parizza got ahead of the, ahead of the man. He, and so for, for, the, for the defender to, to make the challenge, he had, to, he had to get a bit of Parizza. And for me, it's a, a penalty all day long. It's one way, sort of, if it's against you, you roll your eyes a little bit and go, Ugh. it's vaguely frustrating, but I, I, can't, I can't see any complaints at all about it being a penalty. But 
I think what's telling and you know I do feel a lot more positive today you know your your rundown at the start of the podcast John is absolutely correct about where we are but really you know the first shot in the 70th minute and and Parizza kept coming on and getting into good areas and straight away things started I'll say straight away I mean it was a couple of minutes left when we got the penalty but it took us that long to really give give Birmingham a, a serious headache didn't it so that is frustrating, um, but ultimately they got the job done. It was definitely a penalty uh, and another great finish from from the spot from Troy Deeney. No mucking around. And it was something I hadn't picked up on was that, yeah, uh, a goal on his 500th league league appearance. So another a landmark for, for Troy. Um, but yeah, definitely a penalty. Just that nagging concern about it took that long for us to, to carve something. But carve it, we did. Carve it, we did. I found it really interesting that uh, the fact that he only made that one substitution for up front where he did have Jao Pedro uh, and Gray also on the bench where he could have made multiple attacking uh, changes. Clearly on a cautious side, maybe an away game, uh, but also knowing what he was he was up against uh, meant that uh, uh, Vlad didn't make those changes. Uh, so the, the best thing though, Michael, uh, and I'm going to give you one more stat just to make sure you're in your happy place. Uh, we only conceded two goals in six games now defensively we were solid and another cracking performance from all the back line but particularly William Trustikon William Trustikon was was head and shoulders I thought in terms of how he looked Jason said it was a, a game low on on quality and, and anyone that watched it will, will find it very difficult to, to disagree with that but one of the men who did look like he deserved to be playing at a higher level on yesterday's show was was Trusty Kong. I thought I thought he looked really really good. He marshaled the defence well, and you know for all we've complained about about well not complained but all we've highlighted what oh you have of, Michael <laughs> <laughs> Watford sort of lack of attacking threat. We we limited Birmingham, didn't we? To there was that little period of play in the first half where they hit the hit the post almost direct from a corner I think it was whether whether Ben Foster got a hand on that if it was it was a great save and then straight after that they flashed one over the bar but apart from that they didn't really threaten at all and as you rightly say John I think we have to herald the the defence two goals in six games and to, and to only have conceded three goals away from home and again for all the all the complaints we have about the the turgid nature of our, our away performances to to restrict opposition doesn't really matter who the opposition is i know we people would point to us playing uh, teams further further down the table and that is true but to only concede three away from home i think is is a, is an eye-opening stat and, and and one that has given us a really good platform to to build on for for the rest of the season and 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 something to be to be hopeful about but yeah i thought i thought william trustikong was um was was really good yesterday and that uh, re- largely speaking that defensive unit has hasn't let us down all season and that's something that we can be be proud of and sort of and confident in you know and Gakir is again looking like um like a great player really really like him Jason alluded to the fact that he likes getting forward um I love seeing him get forward he he, he just looks like he enjoys it he's just sort of bombastic in the way he goes forward and, and this season that that that's really quite exciting and Kiko Firmenia again looks looks head and shoulders he's he's, he's obviously a class apart so defensively I think we're solid we're, we're where we need to be in this division. We're not. We're not giving up loads and loads of chances. We're not conceding goals. We had that funny little run, didn't we, where we where we did ship goals against against Stoke and and Blackburn. But we seem to be over that. That seems to be the exception to the rule, which which I like. And you know, look, to be perfectly honest, if we 
gather enough one nil wins like yesterday that mean that we go into the last day with hope of going up, then I will take it all day long. This I don't need to be wowed by this Watford side. I don't need to be entertained necessarily to the you know I'd like to be entertained, but I, the ultimate the ultimate aim is to get promoted. And if we are picking up nasty, gritty, boring one nil wins week after week, I will a hundred percent take it. I get how it's dull to watch. It's, it makes it harder when there's no one there. It really does have an impact. Watching on TV, you can be distracted by your phone. You can be distracted by kids. Um, you can go to the fridge and get another beer, whatever. There's loads of different things. It's a different experience watching it on the TV. If that's what we grind out for the rest of the season, fine. I will take it 100%. Whether we can do it or not is another question. But if we are going to do it, you have to do it from the foundations of a, of a solid defence. And led by WTE yesterday, I thought we were I thought we were pretty, pretty solid. And that, that is something to, to take great heart and, and pride in, I think. I think we should also point out the fact you, you, you use the phrase defensive unit, Mike. Um, that defensive unit seems to be changing game on game thanks to the problems that we talked mm-hmm. about earlier yeah. on. Um, so we need to give the guys credit, I think, for, for staying so organised when the personnel are changing on a on a regular basis. Yeah, because Cathcart's out injured and Cabaselli uh, was, was missing yesterday. Two of the sort of most frequent performers, you'd say, at, at centre-back, were you? And, and you wouldn't say that those two, we, you know, we didn't really miss a beat, did we? So for two of those guys, that the, you know, the, the, the real heart of Watford's uh, central defence for, for so long, to keep a clean sheet with relative ease without them is, yeah, like you say, Jason, a, a real feather in the cap and, uh, yeah, credit to them. Adam also spoke to one Vladimir Ivic uh, after the game to find out his take on being, you know, a, a 1-0 away win uh, at a, a tough Birmingham City side. Second game where we won away. If you ask me if I'm satisfied with our games away, cannot be because uh, uh, if you speak generally uh, about all the games, because we, we took just six points, uh, six, two victory on the way. We, we played some games uh, draw, but again, uh, today the game it was very tough. Uh, one organized team, uh, organized defense uh, with a seven, eight players every time behind of the ball. The pitch, it was not in a good condition, I can tell this, and uh, it's no, it was very difficult to play. We tried to play in the first half. Uh, we tried to organize our, our attack, but it was very hard. Second half, we changed uh, totally philosophy of the game, how we want to play. And uh, uh, I believe that second half, it was uh, much better. We went out uh, from our dressing room with the one idea to win the game. We win. We won the game with this penalty. I believe that we had and uh, two two good chances in the in the in the second half. Uh, our opponent they are creating just one one chance. Uh, I believe in the first half after the set pieces. But again, uh, I said in this moment is important uh, three points. This is something what we can keep from this game and good attitude. What we did in the second half. Our plan it was to to play to to try to be more active with the ball and to have ball possession and to create something uh, after our uh, our passing. But uh, after the first 45 minutes, we understand that it's uh, very, very hard today uh, because, uh, how I said, uh, had uh, nine or ten players behind of the ball who work hard in defense. They try just in the counter-attack to do something after the set pieces. And the uh, second half, we changed totally the way how we want to play. And uh, we should adapt uh, on condition what we had on the pitch. And I believe this one goal, it's give us uh, great three points. Just a quick one on the, on the difference between the first half and the second half. Obviously, when Steve Paparica came on, yeah. gave 
Troy a little bit more of a, an extra option. You know that we, we, we try to change our philosophy of the game because I understood and uh, my my my, uh, my coaching staff uh, together with me that uh, it's it's very difficult to do this what we what we prepare for the game. You know because we try to play, but uh, in the first half we couldn't shoot even one time on the on the on the goal because uh, we couldn't uh, create something and uh, it was very hard to play against one team who is with ten players every time behind the ball with the five players in the line and three players in front. Okay, very aggressive team. And uh, we change our philosophy and put the Stipe who can give us more deep and who is uh, strong on the air, who is a fighter and uh, all of us can understand uh, uh, how he won the, the, the penalty. I mean, to his guy who run and who, who fight for every, every, every ball. I mean, in these games, you need the player who is fighter. Adam was there for The Athletic and at the moment you can get a special offer by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end where you buy one, you get one free. And no, there isn't an annoying man dressed up. Uh, If you go and get a subscription for The Athletic, you can gift a subscription to somebody else. And that ain't a bad Christmas present because you get to read all the articles from the entire world-class athletic team as well as all the very focused, more in-depth pieces that Adam writes about Watford Football Club. Plus, you get all the podcasts, including from the recurrent, absolutely ad-free via the app. Vladimir Ivic made the point about Birmingham being very defensive, which, which Troy alluded to too. We obviously knew what was coming, so whether there's questions there about how we how we set up. But the, I think another point was the the pitch, and you could see it on the on the TV. It certainly wasn't as good at Vicarage Road, and there's obviously a reason for that. It's got double the games on it. Coventry City are obviously playing their home games at, at St Andrews, and we're getting to the time of year where uh, wear and tear really starts to to show. It's, it's easy, isn't it? It's a, People like us or people like me certainly like watching old football clips on on YouTube, and you see some of the old games, you know, from perhaps even the nineties, not not too long ago. Although that is quite long ago, isn't it? I'm showing my age now. <laughs> but the, the pitches they used to play on compared to to now, if, they, if you'd have complained fifteen twenty years ago about the surface at St Andrews yesterday, you'd probably been uh, laughed out of the pub. But um, you could see it was was cutting up, and it obviously played a part, according to to Vladimir Ivic, whether that's a little bit of an excuse. I'm, I'm not really sure. Saying we couldn't really play, it's like, well, did it? Did the pitch really stop us playing to the extent that we couldn't have a shot in the first half? Not sure about that, Vlad. But again, it just shows there is lots, lots to contend with. And and I'll go back to what I said at the start. It's very easy for me, sat at home on my sofa with the remote control uh, in the warm, to complain um, about, about what I'm seeing when the reality is there's lots and lots of different things feeding into not just the whole match the, the football club the match day experience but the the, the game itself there's a lot going on uh, and i think we just need to be aware of that from the rookery end a podcast about life following watford fc this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Watford fans weren't able to make it to see Watford take on Birmingham City on Saturday but a match at St Andrews lives strong and long in the memory of many Watford fans some were there and some were unable to make it it was the end of the 1998-1999 season and Watford fan and author Matt Rowson takes up the story the 1999 playoff semi-final second leg at St Andrews remains comfortably the most intense experience of my Watford supporting life and obviously the intensity is part of the attraction of, of watching any football team but this was this was extraordinary to appreciate why in the, the context which was been promoted the previous year we'd won the what was then the division two the third tier title in quite dramatic circumstances we'd done quite well in the in the second tier we'd started well had a bit of a wobble beaten Sunderland at home in January who had come to be the best team in the division but were, were, you know, were slightly into mid-table which would still have been respectable having only just got promoted but Easter Saturday, this sort of miserable, wet game at home to Tranmere we just had a few dis- a run of disappointing results, apparently dropping us out of the playoff picture and then and then this game we were 1-0 down and it was a rubbish game and we were playing really badly and for the most part it wasn't raucous it was very very flat and dull but this Tranmere team were very abrasive and you know had they just played it slowly slowed the game down not provoked anything then we would have lost 1-0 and almost certainly not have been promoted and, and the world would have been a very different place for Watford supporters but as it was <laughs> they started a Barney and it was a it was an absolute fight Watford ended up winning the game very dramatically with nine men and continued to win games and won almost every game for the rest of the season which they would clearly need to do to get back into the playoff picture I think we only dropped a couple of points away at Barnsley and as a supporter you were, you were going to every game again I talked about the Birmingham Birmingham being the, 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 the highlight or the most the epicentre if you like but more than any other period you were going from game to game you know, everything else in your life that happened in between was just sort of filler detail. Right, Port Vale next right, or every focus on Port Vale, right, done done with Port Vale, you know, on to St Andrews or, or, or wherever it was. Every game was more important than the last and every game was the absolute focus. And and because we were on such a run of form, despite having been not been amongst the favourites but pre-season and despite playing much more established second tier teams, we were fairly confident going to Birmingham. Although the Bolton game, the final, was the crowning glory. That was the point where we see a promotion, obviously the dramatic goals that everybody remembers. But that was the, the yin to the Birmingham gang. If, that, if the Bolton game was all sunlight and joy, 
the Birmingham game was dark and evil and, and malevolent, I certainly felt that having navigated Birmingham, there was no peril in the final. There was no doubt in my mind that we were going to win. This was the point at which we had to win the game. And we had that ridiculous queue outside the stadium for tickets. Pete Fincham, another Watford fan, was also in that queue. A load of us decided to get together and have a, have a few pints in the Escort Tavern before basically spending one of the best nights of my life out on the street. What's the real shame about the internet age is that we'll probably never get an opportunity to do that again. There must have been about 20 of us in a group. Some bought food, everyone bought booze. And it was particularly memorable for, uh, for me because Alice Arnold and I decided to break into the ground and go for a run around the pitch. And it was pitch back dark and unfortunately as we went behind the goal in front of the rookery, I didn't see the massive pitch covering tarpaulin. Hit it at, well, what was my full speed, which wouldn't have been particularly fast, and went flying through the air and and completely (laughs) ripped some ligaments in my knee. So then I spent the rest of the evening medicating in uh, Occupation Road, barely able to move my leg as it it got more swollen. My football career was curtailed at that moment, but um, it might have been curtailed somewhat before. But what an amazing evening when the sun started to come up and the queue got even bigger. People, even more people started to come and they saw the size of the queue. And I remember one old couple, uh, if the bloke said to his wife, if, if I missed out on tickets because you wouldn't let me stay, I'll never forgive you. Of course, everyone got tickets. I think still people were rocking up on the Thursday morning getting tickets, but nothing could possibly replace that evening. It was it was truly momentous. And getting the ticket that night might have been great fun, but for non-season ticket holders like Nick Catley, it meant a little bit more of a subdued affair. I'd sort of resigned myself to the fact that I was going to have to watch it in a pub. But then, at the first leg, which I think was on the Sunday, there was an announcement that there were just a few tickets available that would go on sale to non-season ticket holders. And from that point, I thought, well, I'm going to have to be there somehow. And I thought the only way to do it is going to be to go down there, sleep outside the ticket office and get my ticket in the morning. Problem was, it being a Sunday, it was work the next morning. That wasn't ideal, but I thought, well, I'm going to have to be there. I lived in Harrow at the time, headed down to Watford about nine o'clock in the evening and settled down on the pavement. I'd brought a sleeping bag. There were about four or five people in front of me. So I was glad to get in the queue, glad to be ahead of whoever, however many hordes there were going to be there. So settled in and waited for everyone to arrive. Well, people didn't arrive. Six of us that were there at that time, I think a couple more might have joined, but there were only about eight people there. And I gradually realised that if you're the kind of person who's committed enough to sleep outside a ticket office to get a ticket for a match which is live on TV, you're probably going to have a season ticket. The night wore on. It was very slow. It was cold. It was May. How can May be that cold? And Occupation Road is very hard. I just had a sleeping bag, but I didn't get much sleep. We got to dawn and I knew that before too long I'd have that precious ticket. So that was great. And Charlie opened up at 7.30. But it soon became very clear that there weren't too many other people flooding in to get the tickets. And in the end, Charlie said that you could buy as many tickets as you wanted. And so it was clearly completely unnecessary that I'd slept uh, on Occupation Road. Tickets in hand, it was off to Birmingham. Matt picks up the story at the red line. Having won the first leg 1-0, you're wide open for the second leg 1-0 as a lead, but it's not much of a lead, so it certainly wasn't done by any stretch of the imagination. And I remember going to the red line before we caught the coaches up, but there was a sort of air of adrenaline, even though it was hours before the game. Everybody was already on edge. 
you know, the coach drive up. I remember the coaches being delayed. I can't remember how early the delay was, but we weren't comfortable getting there. Pete Fincham. It was pandemonium. I think getting up there, the, the traffic was, was chaos. We were convinced that um, we were going to miss kickoff. The phones were going from people who were there saying it had kicked off in one place and kicked off in another. And fortunately, we were all on these coaches. And I never got the coaches, never ever took the coach. But we all did for this one, just on the grounds of being together and it was a bit safer and getting in and out. But going out, I think we were so horribly optimistic that it was, in true Watford tradition, was only going to end one way and we were going we to lose. But no one dared say it. The, the rules of drink on coaches was uh, slightly put to bed that night as well. I, I don't think there was too much sobriety as we staggered off. But not everyone was on their way to St Andrews. Many, many fans weren't able to make it because it was a midweek trip. And it was definitely a long way for Frances Lynn. She was working in Boston, yes, the one in America at the time. It was a work afternoon for me. So I settled down for the game in my office. Unfortunately, in those days, I didn't have access to any radio commentary, nor, obviously, any television pictures. My way of following the game was to log into a chat room which was attended by a number of Watford fans all over the place. Some kind person who did have access to the radio commentary would type in what was going on for those of us who didn't have any way of following it other than that. It's quite a stressful way to follow such a, an important game. And Colin Mace was a little busy as well. I was working for the Royal Shakespeare Company at the time and, and we were performing a fellow on the night of the second leg. I was playing Montano, the governor of Cyprus. So I'm standing on stage in the fifth act and one of the crew members is a friend of mine. He's a big Birmingham City fan. Of course, there's been quite a lot of tension between us during the day and the build-up to the evening's performance and also to the game itself, obviously. And like so many who didn't make it, Steve was in the pub. We were in a pub in Muswell Hill. Me and my mate were the only two Watford fans in this pub because obviously we were in North London full of Tottenham and Arsenal fans. So we were creating a bit of a scene like we're the only ones like making a bit of noise and what have you. The pub generally got more and more interested in the whole night. More from what eventually happened to Steve later. As the fans arrived at St Andrews, there was a typical welcome from the Blues fans. Matt Rowson. It was a horrible night. You know, it wasn't... Uh, um, you know, there are some grounds you go to now where the crowd is boisterous and noisy, but you don't... It's all about their team. It's not designed to intimidate. Well, this was designed to intimidate, and it did. Um, it was very, very aggressive. Pete Fincham again. There was that mountain of noise from, from the home fans. It was shivering. The whole ground was shivering with that noise. I, I, I can't imagine you couldn't hear that noise in, in Wolves about 15 miles away. It, it, was, it was like something else. I've heard some big noises from some crowds and that is really up there. I can still hear them singing, singing they oh, keep on till the end of the road now and and the, the hostility it was actual pure venom it was hatred hatred of anyone who wasn't them i think for the first few minutes it, it kind of got to us i'm um, behind the goal and it got to the got to the whole team it was a little bit jittery in the book tales from the vicarage 2 matt wrote a chapter about the night here read by Watford fan colin mace he who was on stage at the royal shakespeare company that night reads an extract from matt's chapter the noise was insane, like stepping out into the scorching midsummer sun, inescapable, stifling. You couldn't hear yourself shout, let alone talk, a fearsome racket. Within two minutes, an unseemly goal-mouth scramble, and Deli Adibola had prodded away our first leg advantage. 
The rest of the game, a blur. What a team we were that night, battling for one another. Johnson, Gibbs, Mooney flying into challenges. Birmingham asked questions. We answered them. About. In the stands, nervous tension built and built. We clung on. On the pitch. Off the pitch. The ball, to twist the metaphor, was almost irrelevant. This was elemental stuff. Stem the tide. David Holdsworth was sent off. That helped. It gave us a breather. Our heads above water, gasping, filling our lungs. Until Michael Johnson's free header. Textbook. Going in. Then, it isn't. Magnificent stop from Chamberlain. But fingers are stuck to scalps. Rigid. Extra time. More. Worse. Then. Then us. Then them. Mostly them. Can't give up now. Can't let go. Can't score, either. We go to penalties. Alex saves from Furlong. Stunning. Ah. Desperate release. Crushed immediately. Not going to be that easy. Not ever. In the stands, this means everything now. The drama crafted over the last month building to this point. Each of ours, a yell of joy. Each of theirs, a step closer to despair. Us, them. Us, them. Too much, this. Too much. Someone make this stop. Make it stop. That moment. The half second it took for the message to travel from the other end of the stadium to your eyes. And from there to realisation remains the most extraordinary I've experienced in a football stadium, perhaps even outstripping the same dying seconds of the equivalent fixture 14 years later. Every sinew was coiled to snapping point, every ounce of nervous energy spent, everything furiously focused and terrified at what was happening at the far end of the pitch. And then, suddenly, it wasn't. Like being hit by a tranquilizer dart, all the terror... All the adrenaline spun away to be replaced by joyous abandon, relief and certainty that we would win at Wembley. No worries there. No thought wasted upon it. The replay might suggest that Bolton started well, but it was never in doubt. The difficult season that followed does nothing to dampen the memory of that most vivid, draining Magnificent evening supporting Watford Football Club. And it still comes as something of a surprise that we lost the game. So how was everybody during the penalties? First, Pete Fincham. I have no recollection. I have no recollection beyond, I think it was Palmer's miss up until Chamberlain's save. I, I don't remember a single thing. All I remember is... The, ex- the excitement of it all, the intensity of it all, the straining your neck to see what's going on. Because we were right down the front. We were about maybe two or three rows behind the centre of the goal where, where Birmingham scored after just a minute. We couldn't have been closer. And as of course with the penalties, everyone was piled down the front. So we struggled to see, we struggled to actually get any kind of um, vantage point. And in a way it didn't really matter because you knew if it went in, you knew if it had been saved, you knew 
in the case of um, Palmer that he'd, he'd put it wide. But in terms of being able to visualise any of it, I, I can't, I just can't do it. But then there was the end. I, I felt a rush through my body that made me want to collapse. That's the, that's the first and overlasting memory I have since the start of the penalties. I, I, I just almost collapsed. And how was Fran following along in the chat room? It was bad enough normal time, but then it went into extra time and then into penalties. Now, penalty shootouts are incredibly stressful at the best of times, but waiting while somebody types in the result of each penalty was incredibly stressful, especially as this penalty shootout seemed to go on forever. We'd had two misses and 13 penalties scored before Chris Holland stepped up and I saw the words Holland saved come up on my screen. I think I froze at that point because my memory is that I spent about half an hour hyperventilating while, while clutching onto my desk and just staring at my screen, trying to take in what had just happened. That semi-final has lived long in my memory. It can still make my heart pound thinking of that penalty shootout. On stage, Colin is performing at the Royal Shakespeare Company with a blue-nosed mate in the wings. During the fifth act, I'm standing on stage and he's in the wings where I can see him and he's got an earpiece in and he's listening to the radio, which was quite a common practice in those days. He was mouthing the word penalties to me, penalties, gone to penalties. And I'm standing there trying to concentrate on what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't have any lines at this point, fortunately. Then he starts holding up his fingers. So Birmingham have scored a penalty and then we've scored a penalty and then they've missed a penalty. And then the tension is absolutely appalling. I'm standing on stage in front of about 800 people. Um, Othello is uh, making this extraordinary speech over the body of Desdemona. All I can think of is, are we going through? Are we not going through? And I look over finally and he's just shaking his head with utter despair and disgust and stalks away. And I know in that moment that Watford have done it. We've won a penalty shootout. We're going to Wembley. And uh, I just remember the feeling of total elation and joy to the point where I almost wanted to do a little jig on stage at exactly the same moment that uh, Othello pushes the knife into his own body and brings the play to an end. So Steve was in the pub having a great time. But what happened to him in the end that night? Ended up getting quite drunk and um, in the end everyone came back to our flat to continue the, the party, so the, the after party went on. So I was working the next day. Um, I was working shift work at the time, so I had to be at work at six o'clock the following morning. Knowing that we were in a playoff semi-final was a bit of a, a bit of a thing, so I, I had to clock in at six o'clock. So I said to my mate I was working with, I said, just, just clock me in at six o'clock. So I was going to be there at, say, eight o'clock before the managers got in but officially I was there at six o'clock so I would get there at eight o'clock and the manager would have been otherwise it would have all been good the, the night went on we, we ended up getting more and more um, drunk back, back at our house I can't really remember what happened after that um, but the next thing I can remember is like waking up at midday the next day thinking oh blimey I should be at work I should have been at work at six o'clock I jumped in my car got to work you know, got in loads of trouble, got a written warning for, for missing, like, half the day and got my mate in trouble at work for having clocked me in, like, illegally. And I uh, got in loads of trouble. And, um, yeah, but it was all in a good cause because we uh, got to the power final, so it was all good. <laughs> the tie was won. And how do Matt and Pete look back on the whole thing? From the beginning, we'd been building up to this point. 
again, something I remember thinking at the time, when you're carrying a carrier bag with some groceries and you twist it so it starts coiling in a certain direction, you can keep twisting it manually. If you, you know if you let go, it's going to unravel and, and spin and spin and spin. So you, you, you keep twisting and see how far you can twist it. And that's what was going on in sort of April to May 1999, that it was getting tighter and tighter and tighter and you were getting more and more and more tense. And that save from Alec Chamberlain was the carrier bag unraveling, unrolling and, and all the pressure relieving, just such relief. And I remember being in the lower tier in that away end and just looking at the sky and yelling. And there were two Birmingham fans leaning over the top tier and I was expecting abuse and I was, I may even have got my retaliation in first. And they, they applauded and it was extraordinary. They were clapping down. Okay, the, the, this epic battle was over, I'm sure. They don't remember it nearly as fondly or in as much detail as we do. But they were gracious enough to give us a thumbs up and a, and a clap at the end. Two season wonder roll. It was just the best time of my life supporting Watford. The city of that and the visceral emotion, the rawness. I can't imagine in my lifetime ever experienced anything quite like that because we were all part of the same journey from finishing up um, Kenny Jackett's last game in charge and then fast forward two seasons to be then going to Wembley for a place in the Premier League. Wow, we're never going to do that again. And as I said, the Bolton result was never in question. Um, I might not have felt like that early on when Idaka Johnson and Bob Taylor were having chances and Alec was working hard at, at Wembley, but there was none of the dramatic tension in the final that there was in that semi-final. And despite us actually having lost on the night, it remains the, the most special game that I've been to in, in all my years of following Watford. None of us were at the game. I think I was hardly drunk at university uh, my first year as a fresher. Mike, you were at university as well during that semi-final? I didn't want to watch it in the in the student union because I didn't. Uh, there weren't many Watford. Well, there weren't any Watford fans um, that I was friends with at uh, university, so I didn't watch it in the union because I knew I'd be surrounded by people either uh, just being annoying, really. So I had to go around a mate's house who had Sky. I didn't have Sky at my um, student house, and yeah, I ended up pretty much watching it on my own. So much so that. Throughout the um, throughout the penalty shoot shootout, I could literally hear my heart over the sound of the uh, out of the commentary just beating. Just such was the stress. I mean, obviously, it wasn't anything compared to uh, to to what those at St Andrews experienced. But I can I can remember it as if it was yesterday. What an extraordinary extraordinary evening! Thank you much to Fran Lynn, Nick Catley, Steve. Colin for not only his story but for doing the reading of, of Matt's chapter. Thank you so much to Pete uh, for giving up his very much precious time uh, and also to Matt Rowson for giving permission to read that extract from his chapter from Tales from the Vicarage Volume 2 uh, but also sharing again his, his memories of that game uh, at St Andrews back in 1999. Now Mike, that chapter came from Tales from the Vicarage Volume 2 uh, and you wrote a chapter in there uh, as well. We got five copies of the book to give away, thanks to Adam and everyone at talesfrom.com, maybe based on your chapter that you wrote. I did, yes. Published author uh, Rookery Mike here, just here to tell you about... Uh, yes, volume two. Uh, I wrote a chapter about uh, loans and, and Watford's history in the, in the loan market. So to win one of five copies of Tales from the Vicarage, volume two, all you need to do is 
contact us via social media on any of our handles, Facebook, uh, Instagram or Twitter, and let us know who your favourite ever Watford Loney was. And that's it. We will pick one at rare. We will pick five at random. They'll all go into the hat, whichever uh, whichever medium you post on. Everyone's got a chance. Just tell us your favourite Loney. I'm just saying that. I'm just trying to work out who who mine is. And I haven't got an answer yet, so I'll put that on social media when I come up with an answer. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so check out at Watford Podcast uh, on your social medias. Uh, we'll probably put a post up where you can comment after it to, to win a copy. If you're not one of the lucky winners or you want to get one of the other volumes, the many volumes that there are now of uh, Tales from the Vicarage, you can go to talesfrom.com. If you're missing a few, perfect, perfect present for Christmas. On Tuesday, Jason, you and several of the from the Requin team are off to Vicarage Road. Are you excited and are you looking forward to Watford taking on Brentford? I am. I'm very excited. I'm going to be sitting in the away end, so come on, you bees. Oh, no, that's not how it works, is it? It's Sorry. old school home end. It's old school home end. <laughs> it is. That's where, where um, I sat during sort of the mid, mid-90s before yeah. we switched down to the, yeah, yeah. to the Rookery end. So that will bring back... Uh, well, kind of bring back some memories. I, I used to sit sort of in the middle, I think, given my seat number, I'm going to be off to the side. So I'm going to have a sort of a, a, a rather angled view of the game. But yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. It's not not going to be the same as would be normal. But then what is normal these days? Um, obviously, I'm normally sat near you, John. Would be my dad and my missus and her family. And obviously none of those guys are going to be there. So I'm going to be sort of sat there on my own for a safe distance from everyone. Um, but it just to, to be there to, uh, to hear Zed cars ring out as the team come out, like I said before, um, it's, it, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. I just hope we get a performance. <laughs> Are we going to get one though, Mike? Um, I'll come back to that. I want, I just do, do want to say that, um, I cannot overstate the the joy John having you there for the the Cardiff game and Andy my brother and and Geordie were there for the Rotherham game it made it mean so much more knowing that I was sharing it with with you guys um, it, it just made it real again and seeing everyone's reaction on on social media coming through when they've they've got tickets has been absolutely joyous. Just the delight of seeing people, the excitement they're, they're having, going back to watch Watford, going back to Vicarage Road, going to, to watch their team is brilliant. And it does, we've talked about it a lot, but it does bring it home, just how important it is for so many people. And it, it makes a difference But having that shared experience. It's, I felt, I just got that warm, fuzzy feeling, even though it's minus 20 or whatever it was, watching the Rotherham game and the, Car- the Cardiff game, just knowing I was sharing it with you, John, and, and my brother and Geordie, it's brilliant. And it's going to be fabulous to have to have Jace there and uh, a couple of the other lads are, are there as well. So brilliant. Will they see a win? Well, we've, we've talked about how Watford set up against a team who were we knew were going to be defensive and we struggled, quite frankly. We got the job done. Could have potentially won one more comfortably in the end, but they've come away with three points. It's going to be a very, very different um, challenge against against Brentford. I was I was lucky enough to be at Wickham Brentford earlier in the season. That was that was nil nil. The uh, Mike Midas touch strikes again, but Ivan Tony up front for for Brentford looks a real real handful. I know he's been hit, getting the headlines, so that won't be a surprise to to many people. But he really is um, strong and and skillful and a great touch, and he he gets those shots off. So we are going to have a, a face a very very different challenge 
in Brentford. It feels like we're going to face a, a team challenging at the top end of the table for the first time in a little while. I was quite positive about Cardiff the other week, but they got schooled by Swansea yesterday. So in terms that they, while they're well organised, I don't think they're going to be challenging at the top end of the table. The same can't be said for Brentford. They are a good footballing side. They will ask questions of us. They will be set up to make it difficult for us. I don't think they'll go all out attack, but they will have intent that if they do get chances, then then Tony looks very, very capable of, of taking them. So this is going to be a level up for Watford. Got that bit of quality. You know, Etienne Capou, for example, came on <laughs> yesterday as a substitute. Within 30 seconds, gave away a foul in a uh, devastatingly dangerous area. Uh, but he, you know, that shows he's probably fit. So whether he comes back into the into the side and whether that bit of extra quality, that Premier League quality against a team who has Premier League aspirations might be, uh, well, should be, should be helpful. Another challenge, I'm really excited as to how Watford are going to approach it because we've done a, a hard job. We really have. I've sort of snapped out of, of being a bit of a curmudgeon really about about this week's football because we've won three nil on aggregate picked up six points and and not conceded anything which is what we need to do in this division so I'm going to cut them some slack we do need to see the performances improve that's the bottom line I don't think I said earlier if we do one nil our way to the top of the league and, and we go up then that, I'll be happy with it I will I think it's hard to do that so I think the the performances do need to improve this is a massive massive test but the players should be licking their lips against playing against someone like Brentford good footballing side they'll ask us questions we need to step up and uh, it should be a good match I you know you've got to be confident that, that Watford's form is on paper the form is good so let's let's follow it up and and yeah why not if, we, if we're gonna if we're gonna get promoted we need to win our home games let's get one in the bag thank you very much Michael yeah no worries sorry for being a sorry for being a grump let's let's turn the corner come on Watford help me out here come on you want it I don't know about you Jason but I think he was slightly less of a grump yeah, don't be silly. Thank you. <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works: Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code The Athletic. Make your first deposit of at least ten dollars. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.